Have you ever wondered why you're not making a podcast? Maybe because you think it's too hard. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I mean, you're immediately in the podcast game. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So right now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Just go to A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M and join me on Anchor. Broadcasting from the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, welcome to Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. Thank you for listening to this bonus series. Tonight, I'm joined by co-host Darcy Staniford for a conversation with Kristen Anderson and Will Rogers, the siblings behind the awesome Guide to the Unknown podcast. That's now on this edition of our bonus series. Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. Thank you so much for joining, everyone. This is going to be a really fun conversation. This is very cool. With uh, yeah. Guide to the Unknown. And uh, firstly, I want to introduce uh, these folks from Guide to the Unknown for my, uh, to my co-host for the night, Darcy Staniford. Hello. Darcy has been working in the realms of Fortiana and uh, has been joining us here on Night Drift to uh, add a, a, a particular spice of commentary to these discussions. That's very appreciated. And now Darcy is bringing coffee to the party. And so oh. I got to put this over firstly, like uh, Old Town Roasters is my new favorite coffee i believe and i think you can probably get it online right darcy yeah oldtownroasting.com so and 20 percent of uh all proceeds since the company started go back into charity work and so a lot of awesome things black lives matter aids walk uh dabble pipeline like very social justice minded helping coffee farmers things like that so yeah Awesome, awesome company. Yeah, tastes good and feels good. Will and Kristen, let me introduce you first for the uninitiated. Kristen Anderson and Will Rogers are siblings who were raised on mysteries and now delight in bringing them to the masses. They're interested and interesting, goofy and thoughtful, and they've seen Scream like a million times. (laughs) Correct. They do a podcast called Guide to the Unknown in which has... 
you know, really mutated into a lot of different varied programming, which I'm, I get, and I'm very familiar with. Uh, so I can't wait to talk about all of its different incarnations, but firstly, from New Jersey, correct? Yes. Welcome to Night Drift. This is going to be great. Thank you so much. much. We're thrilled to be here. Euphemet in all of its incarnations is one of my favorite shows ever. So this is such a treat. And Jim and Will and I in the past have all kind of worked together in professional settings from another lifetime. And it's so nice to be able to collaborate this way. Absolutely. I am very thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having us, Jim. (laughs) Appreciate it. Uh, Let's talk firstly about these mysteries that you two were raised on that immediately came to mind i mean i come from a family that is very inviting and welcoming and encouraging to go and explore the weird and it's something that i understand now not everyone really has the privilege of being fostered into that sort of community so what was it about your childhoods that allows you to prosper and work together in this way diving deeper into the weird well we grew up in connecticut in like a very it's always hard to define it wasn't rural but it wasn't totally suburban it basically to sum it up we kind of lived in the woods and so as you guys know the woods have this inherently mysterious spooky vibe to them so i feel like that was number one it was sort of our environment but also our parents our dad in particular were really into mysteries and i mean more like um detective-y sort of stuff but it kind of veered into universal monsters and stuff like that as well so we grew up with that as entertainment that we really had around us and leaned into so i feel like that was kind of the start of it you think that will oh yeah i think especially dad's interests were very our father was born in 1934 Mm -hmm. so a lot of the like media that he introduced us to it, it, it was things that uh uh are are very long buried now we did a lot of you know watching Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, mm-hmm. you know? He had Ellery Queen mystery yeah. books all over the house. He had a whole collection. Old right. radio plays, old mystery yeah. radio plays. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he would have grown up in an era where you did listen to the radio all the time. And so we were sort of weirdly out of time. We lived in the middle yeah. of nowhere, and we had cultural touch points from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. It was, <laughs> it was unusual, but it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, Eric over here says the shadow knows. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, uh, I got it. I got the mental picture immediately. And to, let's talk about that for a little bit now that you've brought it up. I mean, this ability to be a little bit out of time, to be taking in media that is almost because of its age, a little out of touch, but even closer to something that feels real, if that makes sense. In the way that when you're listening to radio drama, as I did as a kid as well, you know, isn't there something to be said about connecting the dots between these things that you had to ultimately place yourself and visualize? You had to connect the dots between your place and time and something else, somewhere else. What was that like for you two? You know, it's funny. Our, our, uh, similarly along those lines, our dad was a very, um, he did a lot of uh, uh, word games, logic puzzles, and, and a lot of... Um, he used to tell me stories about the way that he and his friends used to talk to each other, where they would have conversations that would mutate over the course of hours. And then they would play a game trying to reverse engineer how they got there. 
you know, almost like a game of telephone. How do we start from this phrase and wind up with something so completely different? Right. They would then try to step back through that process to see where they came from. And he almost viewed it as like to champion the power of the mind to be able to go <laughs> that far and come back. Sure. And honestly, I, I feel like a lot of the things that, that uh, uh, we did together as a family when we were kids were a lot like that. Road trips where you're listening to, there's a, a cassette series called Mind Trap where you'd listen to these riddles and then you'd have to try to solve them all together. And then you'd inevitably just fast forward to the end of the cassette where they were telling you all the answers. Um, but I really think that there was a lot of that going on in our childhood of imagination and how do you step outside yourself and play with logic and play with memory and play with visualizing. And honestly, I mean, that's, that's what a lot of my love of horror is, you know, some of the best horror are the things that, you know, it's a little, it's a little easy to go to, but for these purposes, like, jaws you don't see the shark until the end because the the power of imagination is so much greater will i genuinely never thought of it that way but you're absolutely right we did do a lot of imagination -y, like mind game sort of stuff i really never thought of it in those terms i feel like it makes us seem like a like hippie mensa family where we were like very <laughs> smart and playing i wouldn't say that so nope, i'd like to nope, reverse nope, engineer nope, nope, that nope, nope. yeah uh, but you are absolutely right in essence yeah there was there was a lot of uh, of group imagination going on mm -hmm. which you're, you're right that does sound like one of those alternative <laughs> yeah. schools where instead of an f you get like a frown yeah face. a hug right <laughs> yeah exactly but like there, there there was a lot of like you know and it was also of a particular era for for us like we are we are uh, uh, millennials. We grew up where we didn't have a cell phone until we were in our late teens, where we, the internet was introduced to us partway through our life. So there was a lot of like being in a diner and passing the time by playing a word game. Yeah. It was, it was a very imaginative uh, era for us growing up. Well, and I think that also ties into, because my dad was born only four years after both of you, like wow. your your dad right. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but i think that has a lot to do with those that like grew up during wartime and like mm. rationing and the idea like it's a it's a cultural context aspect too of like who you are raised by and the kinds of things that they did to you know pass the time and to like my dad grew up in england and so it's like things were rationed and there was only you know so much you could do so it, it totally makes sense that kind of imagination based like what if next or once we're out of here and that kind of fun escapism that is different i think than if you shift even like a decade up yeah you know yeah. um mm -hmm. because it, i think i think that kind of cultural context for them really changes the game right yeah i i i completely agree like our father was also like uh he would tell us stories about his childhood it was very like classic like growing up in, up in new york stuff of like playing stickball mm -hmm. he didn't have a bicycle until he was like 16 years old so like he knew how to pass time with nothing he knew how to do that really well right. and uh honestly like you could you could put me in solitary confinement and i'm gonna have a ball i think i, yeah. I did learn some right. of that from him i mean in that way you really are manifesting you're making your own reality with what you have in that way. I mean, what better equivalency to the esoteric or the occult than that level of manifestation? It's sort of like you're there in the cave and you can either sit there and do nothing or you can sculpt your golem. Right? Yeah. 
and, yeah. and let it manifest. And so in that way, of course, it dips into creativity and it dips into this fascination you have with the unknown, with the other side, with the weird, because how can it not? That's where you get in those places when you're sitting in the cave. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you don't know what is there. So you make it up. And I actually yeah. think that listening to radio dramas like you guys did as well, because of the time period that the radio dramas were made in, it's not like they had bombastic sound effects or anything. There was like a Foley artist sometimes, but you did have to do a certain amount of filling in the gaps with your imagination. And I think it, it feeds into all of it. You can make up a little bit of the atmosphere around it and maybe will and i and probably you guys just had some sort of natural propensity to make that a little bit creepy because it makes it interesting and fun yeah absolutely and now to see where it's gone with your work and with you know with creating audio dramas as well in the forms of podcasting creating these opportunities to take a step back into the world of the shadow even and go Let's explore now because more people are open to experiencing these things in a way that what a better time to use your imagination and help create your own reality than right now in 2020. <laughs> it is very true. Not just because of the world that's around you, but because we are all bound by nothing. <laughs> like seriously don't all go of us on sitting... about that. Go on about that. But... Oh, it's so true. Like all of us sitting here on this call, like, We've all got cameras that are either baked into our computers or we've, we've, you know, bought a different camera. We've got it right here. We've all got microphones. We're all chatting with each other all across the country. Jim, you're West Coast. Kristen and I, were East Coast. Darcy, where are you? West Coast. I'm West, West Coast, Coast as well. well. Mm -hmm. All right. We're spanning the entire country. We can do whatever we want. We all do shows. Uh, all of us would love to have you know, uh, expanded budgets and, and, and companies and deals, all that stuff be great, but take away all everything that we're doing right now. And tomorrow we'll just start some new show. You can't take anything away from us. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I think that's a really, it's a really good point though, because yeah. I think that people are so, you know, like I've talked with folks about this a little bit about like, you know, yes, there's a very tragic, aspect of the pandemic. I do not want to downplay that at right. all. But the thing that people are really cranky about outside of that aspect is the fact that the death of convenience, right? And the mm -hmm. death of really their routine, the very routine that they hate and they complain about, like, I don't go to this office. I don't want to do these things. <laughs> There's like, I want to go to the office. I don't want to do these things. And I don't <laughs> understand why the miracle of prime shipping isn't happening right now, right? right? And so when you've got like, I'm so thankful talking about this whole kind of idea of like the things that we find interesting that I am interested in things outside of tied to a screen. So it's like, I just, I just spent like two weeks working on this puzzle and I was just like, yeah, puzzles are fun. They challenge your brain in a different way, you know? Yeah. And, but again, it's like, I'm not, I, I don't feel like life has changed, but because I'm like, and I love to read and then there's comic books and graphic novels and podcasts. And there's so many things that I think that people just have to kind of expand their box a little bit. And people aren't, they don't want to do that. They're already uncomfortable enough. And I get that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you're, if you're zoomed out, right? I hear that all the time. I'm so zoomed out. I don't want to be on zoom anymore. Cool. How about reading? 
Like, I'm sure that there's just a ton of books that you have in your house somewhere if you didn't Marie Kondo them away, <laughs> like, that you can do that. Or try a crossword puzzle. There's, you know, really, there's no shortage of entertainment no at all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Boy, the Marie Kondo method was either the very right or very wrong fad just before all this lockdown. Right. You yeah. either got rid of all the stuff that Brent didn't bring you joy or you're in an empty house now. You're like, I wish I had my stuff. Where's you, my look stuff? Like, you look like a rogue X-Man that is just like can't be trusted anymore. So they put totally. him in a box. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thanks. It's very sterile. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, ma- making our own fun. And you, you talk about the, the amount of uh, content that we can take in in different forms and activities and ways to connect with something outside of the box, getting outside of the box, but also the ability for so many people to now go within, right? Mm-hmm. And to actually have, have conversations with themselves, conversations with their loved ones, and actually take a breath and go like, wait a minute, I didn't even like watching all that Netflix. Like, why did I watch that season of that show? I didn't even, I wasn't even into it. It just, I felt like I was supposed to watch it. So there's so much of that, right? And I think that we're seeing that with people's peaked curiosity in things like, we're talk, We're going to talk about this a little later because I've been obsessed with it, but I know you guys have experience with Randonautica. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that a little bit later because that's been an ongoing night drift uh, topic. You know, I think a lot of, Individuals are interested in avenues to use their screen as an interface to take them into a different world. Sometimes that's the real world. Sometimes that's a different level of consciousness. Mm. So Mm. what is that space going to be like as we move forward, I wonder? Is there going to be more tools available or activities available where we enter into a new space of, dare I say, spirituality or a pursuit of something that's greater than just screens and content? You know of things other than Randonautica that are kind of endeavoring to do that technology-wise, like kind of play with consciousness and synchronicity or whatever? Yeah, they're, most of them are not public. A lot of them are, you know, have been funded by the government through research organizations going back decades and decades. There's several organizations right now that are reapproaching this idea of what global consciousness means to not just our interaction with reality, but our interaction with the paranormal and and everything within the unknown. Uh, So those things are out there. But I mean, let's take a look really quick at something like Pokemon Go. I mean, that was sort of the the first incarnation, I think, of this Randonautica thing. And I know there's other RPGs and games out there. I'm not a gamer, so I, apologies. Like, I don't know much about that space. But I do know that there is a qualified effort, even from marketers and computer engineers and data scientists, to find new ways to blend this box and whatever else is out there to remove the box to put us inside of it. Yeah. <laughs> you're, Actually... You're... Go for it, Raj. Well, no, that that reminds me. I I just remembered that the Facebook VR thing, I think it's called Oculus. I think that a lot of people are using that for really cool meditations. Mm -hmm. So, so, yeah, you remind me that that there are things that aren't just like technology for gameplay or whatever, but that you're right. It's kind of finding stuff within by using this device without. It is interesting. Yeah. Ooh, that is tasty. That's <laughs> really good. That's a good quote. I like that a lot. Thank you. Mm. Stitch that on a pillow, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> that I want I want the phrase that is tasty on a pillow right next to it. 
or on the reverse side of that pillow. That would be the most confusing. That is tasty. Kristen's face just. Mm-hmm. I Little, love that. Hey, like that. Yeah. <laughs> here's a let me let me bring it down real hard. Here's a very weird illustration. I think of what of what you both were just saying. Uh, particularly, you made me think of it, Jim, when you when you brought up Pokemon Go. We are today, Kristen. I don't know yes. if you noticed this. Today, right this second, is the four year anniversary of our father's death. And I... not only that, not only that. That means that we are four years and two months removed yeah. from our oldest sister's death. 2016 was a nightmare, a living yeah. nightmare for us. Oh my here's gosh. The other thing, here's the other thing about four years and two months ago. Pokemon Go came out. And the reason <laughs> that I know that is because we were all in our family dealing with like so much uh, uh, hardship and heaviness and and honestly like trauma and something as simple as a new game that's on everybody's phones that has swept the world by storm and has people walking around and laughing and looking for things together and giving each other advice a bunch of us i know Kristen, myself uh uh, uh our spouses um our our nieces and nephews we all escaped a little bit into pokemon go to get little respites to, to have little adventures to go on that take your mind off of things. Life is hard, and it's really nice to have something to, to enjoy in those moments. And so it's, it's very weird. And again, I apologize for it being so morbid, but it is exactly what we were talking about. It was like a little, a little escape hatch. Yeah, you're you're completely right about that. I always get the dates mixed up between our sister Karen and dad. One was the 26th of the month, one was the 24th. I was thinking the dad was the 26th. I didn't realize that today. But you got me. Damn it, you're a better child than I am. (laughs) But um, but no, you're totally right about that, Will. And that's definitely something that I think about a decent amount in general as it pertains to, um, I don't know, like the sort of push-pull between self-examination and distraction because, you know, there's a kind of some talk about not wanting to just brush emotions under the rug and things like that and that looking for distraction is a bad thing. But I think it can also be a healthy thing and it can kind of help you cope and, like, raising your mood, I feel, feel like, as long as you're not doing to the detriment of what's really going on underneath – isn't a bad thing. So I don't know. That's just something I think about a decent amount, like the, the push pull between introspection, meditation, self-development and, or getting so caught up in that, that you don't even get to enjoy the fruits of it by enjoying other things that you might deem a distraction. And I feel like that can kind of have some overlap in spirituality and your attention to the supernatural at maybe the detriment to the grounded world. It's just something interesting that I think about. I think that's a really like, like you just hit on something that's like so important. Um, I do we're new friends, Will and Kristen. So you don't know this about me, but part of the areas that I study is death, dying and grief in American culture. And so, um, and I too have been through the loss of my father a little bit, uh, before you both did. So I know about those like, Hey, this is that date. And these are those things that come up. But I also know that like, man, you need a break in the midst of all that. Like you can't, 
you can't just be in it all the time. Like for me, I had really dark jokes, like real dark jokes that oh, yeah. my father-in-law almost like uh, punched me because he didn't realize, <laughs> like, he's like, what are you saying? And I'm like, I am so sorry. You're not aware that's an inside joke. Right. It's fine. That's how I release the valve, right? And like for me, one of my, like, my escape during that time became the show Marin. It was like mm-hmm. Marin show and that dark humor. And I just, every week I look so forward to watching that and having that break and having that respite. Mm. And I think it's really important what you bring up about like the spiritual aspect, because I think whether you are actively spiritual or even if you err on the side or are on the side of like agnostic or atheist, like you still have a belief system in place, even if it is a lack of belief. Right. And so I think so easily there can be this, this idea of spiritual bypass. And that's one of the things they warn about in grieving and just like, I'm going to dump it all into like whatever's meant to be, or it was their time or the end is then or whatever that is right. where then things aren't dealt with, but none of us are meant to be in the mire 24 seven. Like, yes, get to know yourself, be introspective. Right. And even in this time with like social media will love to tell you like, Oh, you should be coming out a better you at the end uh-huh. of all of this, right. you're baking bread, you've distilled your own beer, you're now very flexible, you can meditate for seven hours a day, meanwhile, working full-time and homeschooling your children. And it's like, there's no way, none of us can do that. Like, you have to take a break and just go, I'm going to do this. But I think the, the key in all of that is the intentionality of it, right? It kind of mm-hmm. ties back to what, Jim, you were saying in the beginning with why did I just binge that show for no reason? Like I watched it cause someone told me I should watch it versus, you know what? I need to take a break and I'm going to do that because I, you know, mindless scrolling or just like, I guess I'll watch what's ever on versus making the intention to go take the break. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to tag on about like Pokemon go, but I think this, this new technology can even be used in really simplistic ways. Like, part of what I've been doing in this pandemic is participating in an online gratitude group Mm. and Mm -hmm. the level of community that has built out of that group. We've had people come in and out, but there's been a core group that's been here since March. And that has been such a, a bonding experience and such a simple experience, but it's a way for us to build community actually worldwide. Yeah to be able to set this intention and say, we're gathering these two times a day for minimum 30 minutes. And we're going to set the intention of being grateful for something. Yeah. And it's been very simple things. Like literally I've heard people talk about like, I'm so grateful for this apple I have all the way up to like these amazing things happen that are huge, big things. But again, there's that intentionality, but without technology and the, the box that they're trying to make us a part of, we wouldn't be able to do that. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Every week, my ritual is being grateful for these folks in the participant list right now and talking with individuals like you. Actually, two weeks ago, I've never shared this publicly with any listeners or anyone, but my stepfather-in-law passed away suddenly, uh-huh. just out of nowhere. It was night drift one night, his death the next. And we've been going through the process of helping my mother-in-law transition through that and grieving ourselves. And uh, it's not something that I 
I don't know, I'm ready to talk about at length yet, but you know, it's this process within the box that is totally keeping me on track Mm -hmm. and helping me feel healthy and connected and that it fucking sucks, but that we'll get through it. Right. right? And there's something else there. And so these boxes, they're actually also fucking windows, right? We can look. Put down a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're coming up with a lot of like co-podcast branded t-shirts right here. I'm into it. I'm here. (laughs) I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. A t-shirt with an embroidered pillow on it. (laughs) Ooh. Subverting the form. Jim, I was really into what you were saying, but I couldn't let that go. Please continue. I love it. That was it. Uh, Let's... uh, uh, listener Eric says, with the growth of VR and XR, I'm a big uh, VR fan. I've been imagining that we might begin seeing examinations, research, and experiments in that direction. I think that came up when we were talking about, um, like, Randonautica and the Facebook Oculus and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what, are, uh, what are your impressions of that, uh, Will? Have you heard mm. of... Uh, these technologies or the ideas of these technologies being used in that way? And, and where do you think that takes us? The answer is complicated and lengthy, Jim. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Um, I know I've heard of VR. I know what it is. <laughs> I know someone intelligent might put it on their face and really design something spectacular. I know nothing of it. <laughs> um. <laughs> I uh, here here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll dig a little deeper. How about that? I'll reach into my soul. No, I think that here here's my real feeling about it because the true answer really is that I don't I don't really know much about VR. I don't know what XR is. I don't know what that's short for. I know of augmented reality. Does that abbreviate to X? I don't know. But what I really think of it is that. Um, I am aware of people using this technology to forge connections between people. And uh, uh, I'm aware of this being used in like product development as a matter of fact. And I think that this might become a a way that, and so here it's, it's a bit of a journey, but I know that there's a big push for this stuff from a consumer standpoint of be able to like, you know, if you want to, instead of going to target, you can browse all the stuff on your in, in VR space, see how it might look in your own home, something like that. But that as a technology to get into people's homes, once we all have VR, then I think it's really the job of people with expanded um, ideas of the potential of that technology to push it in really interesting directions. Because I do think that that's a technology that can be used to, we're all sitting here on a zoom call, looking at each other on boxes in boxes on a screen. Maybe it will become a star Wars esque future where we can all be in the same space. What does that same space look like? Does it look like a room or do we make it all look like we are like stars in the cosmos? Like being unbound like that, I think will only have uh, uh, the side effect of making it possible for, for humans to engage with each other and and themselves in information in a more direct way like i'll make this story short because i I, if you wind me up too much i can just go 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 but (laughs) i uh you know technology right like uh uh, i i already mentioned i think like at a certain point in our lives we were all just introduced to the internet here is the internet 
it's new. You didn't have it before now. You may have this now, and we all had to learn how to use it. I've already got friends who, like their seven-year-old, was born into a world of smartphones and tablets. At two, we laughed when he would try to touch the television. That's not a touch screen. Oh, these kids, they don't understand. He is interfacing with our technology better than we ever did. Right. Future generations are going to be born into better and better technology and innately understand it better than any of us. We will become the old people that don't know how to use a mouse. And I'm shocked that that is our future because I always thought, no, 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 we're going to age better. But no, no, no. People are going to be born into this technology and inherit it. And I hope that they do really good mind-expanding things with it. Yeah. And help us keep our patrons after we forget how to use a mouse. Yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ. Kristen, you know, what do you think the implications of this type of technology or these type of ideas of technology affecting paranormal and our relationship with the unknown? Well, I wonder, because now there are like, the, the first thing I think about is ghost hunting equipment, and I have limited, limited service level experience with it. Will and I have done some like real Bush League ghost hunting, um, but what I wonder is if the ghost hunting equipment that's available on your phone or portable devices will become more effective and legit, because from what I've heard, you can download, you know, like not an EMF meter reader on your phone but like um for evp like an evp reader on your phone but apparently it's like really crappy maybe we'll get to a place where it's really accurate or maybe there can be some sort of device that's like multiple ghost hunting or some sort of detection devices all in one thing rather than having an emf meter an evp recorder all that kind of stuff um i feel like the paranormal community as far as searching for evidence of other beings is really interesting and creative. So I have to think that there's going to be somebody who understands this technology well enough to harness it and make it really game changing. Yeah, right. Darcy, what do you think some of the implications of uh, our relationship with technology and the pursuit of the unknown could be? You know, it, it, it's really interesting because I think, like, even though, like, and to Will's point, yes, we will all become the people that forget how to use the mouse. And I think even in this time, like, trying to figure out new technologies, figuring out Zoom, Microsoft Teams, whatever other tools you have to use has been like, oh, I can do that with it? Like, I can put a virtual background up and like, I'm sure there are other people that are just laughing at us. Like, yeah, that's been a thing. But I think the thing that comes to mind is like that, you know, for centuries, people have been trying to use technology to contact the other side, to make the veil thinner. Right. Um, you know, uh, spirit trumpets, seances, things like that, using the technology of that time. Um, John Tenney will talk about, you know, long histories of all kinds of weird stuff. And, and uh, like, I saw someone do a, a whole history on, like, EVPs. And EVPs, like, from decades and decades ago. Sure. Like, it's fascinating. So people have been trying this for a long time. I think one of the things that I'm very interested in is to see 
one, how as paranormal investigators, we can use this technology to get better and better to Kristen's point of like, oh, here it all is. You can download one app and here's your spirit box and an EMF detector and a thermal thermometer and all of these things. But then at the same time, I also think about the other, like the other side of that technology, um, because I think a lot about the transhumanists. And for those who are not familiar with the transhumanists, the transhumanist believes that we can solve death through technology and biology coming together. Sure. The thing that it couple in couple points. So give me just a moment. One transhumanism, um, also gets a little bit, some of them get into cryogenics, right? And so cryogenics and and the freezing of the human body to bring it back later when things are cured is interesting because it really comes into the question of like, do you believe a soul leaves its body at death? Because if that's the case, if we bring you back in cryogenics, then what happens? Does your soul come back? If you believe in reincarnation, it's like, there's a lot of like, uh, existential questions to be and spiritual questions in that aspect. But on the same token, you have a lot of these transhumanists, um, not a huge surprise, by the way, that many of them are white, upper class, privileged, higher ed people. Right. Now, granted, I work in higher ed, so it's, I'm not begging on that, but there's a high level privilege and a lot of them are touting trickle down with uh transhumanism like well we'll solve we need to solve death for the elite first because they are the minds of this time and all of this and that that feels very science fictiony and problematic like i'm very i'm i'm very concerned about those things and i think another thought to ponder because i don't know this for sure but one of the main leaders of the transhumanist movement his name is zoltan Zoltan Istvan. And yeah. Zoltan, it, yes, right? Isn't that like the, great, the, the greatest name, right? Like we're just like, oh, of course you are. It's and what I want their name to be. It is absolutely <laughs> what you want their name to be. And Zoltan Istvan is um, married to a medical doctor. And it occurred to me when I was having a discussion with a friend of mine uh, and because he's also very proud, proclaimed atheist, like staunch atheist. And I'm like, oh, what happens when you get an atheist who's afraid to die? Yeah. So the difference between, well, you die and there's nothing left. And, oh, you die and there's nothing left? <laughs> right. Like, there's a lot of weird kind of levels in this. So you're seeing one side of like, those of us who are trying to connect, trying to find out these other things, and those who are like, I don't want to even get near finding out those other things. And I think part of my challenge, besides the elitism, is that they talk about curing death, but they don't talk about curing disease. Because I'll tell you, what I love more time on this earth? Yes, but not if I'm suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia. Yeah. Not if my body is so debilitated that I can't walk. Like this, this is the, you know, these are these things that it's like, there's so many other layers to it. And so I kind of look at both sides of it, uh, thinking about how we move forward in intentionality and connection and, and consciousness and global mindedness, but also that there are people 
that are just like me, me, me. I just want the technology for me and no one else. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, I will mention that for patrons, if you want to hear me interview Zoltan back in 2016, there is uh, for the exclusive patron feed for Euphemia, the original series, there's an interview with him there. And it's very interesting to hear that now and watch any YouTube videos with him uh, that are current, that are modern, that are a part of his political campaign and shocking to see how human elements have seemingly very much affected the perspective of even the uh, most staunchest transhumanists. Uh, yeah. So I, I'll be yeah. listening oh, to man. you. Zoltan. I know that means I must've heard this before yeah. because I've listened, but I must've blocked this out or something. <laughs> All right. Well, I am a proud patron, so I'll be going back into the archives. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, also, soon, pal. there's also a really good documentary that features him and a lot mm-hmm. of other transhumanists called the future of work and death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like the work part is like automation and what do we do in this thing? And then they get into the whole trans, like the whole second half is transhumanism. And I was just like, what? I have never, <laughs> I have never heard of this before, but something that I thought of when you're talking about whoever it is, who's an atheist and also a transhumanist. Zoltan. Oh, Zoltan is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that wipes out for him, I would think, the issue that you raised earlier of like, what if you believe that the soul leaves its body at death, I guess that's not a concern for him, right? So, yeah, because he doesn't I, believe it. Probably, I, I think it. From what I understand, it seems it's very, it's very humanistic. It's very like this is who we are in this life. We get this shot, and so it's this, this very. It's like we're machines that also have this like higher consciousness of like the brain and thinking and things like that. But it's just like, I would love to, like with the way my brain works, I just want to sit down and be like, I have so many questions and I'd like Mm. to know your answers, but it feels like the same way, almost on the flip side of like the way that people question if somebody is in a deep faith, right? Or like, okay, let me pull apart your faith, right? And it's like, I don't, I don't want to crap on anybody's faith and their belief, but I get nervous when it starts like... I'm always nervous when any belief system becomes exclusionary. Right. Mm. Then I'm like, oh, not everyone's welcome. Why isn't everyone welcome? Yeah. I have so many right. questions. Let the billionaires upload their consciousness onto the server and then just put the server over there. Totally. It's like <laughs> The Simpsons, right? Where all of the, like, or um, Futurama, where everyone's got the, the severed head and, like, right. it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, here's Richard Nixon. Here are these people. And it, it's, it's very interesting because I actually asked, um, uh, Robert Thurman, Dr. Robert Thurman, who is a very high-ranking Buddhist, he's like one of the closest friends of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, mm-hmm. about transhumanism. And he's like, well, that's only if you believe we're a machine and we don't go on, but we're all energy. So yeah. of course we go on. Like he's just so, but again, yeah. he's so comfortable in his faith. He's just like, yeah, this is, yeah. How, it, this is how it is. And you're like, okay, Robert Thurman, like, yeah. I love it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Confidence. Yeah. Well, I think it's really telling and interesting that, you know, we got into this 
long sprawling conversation about technology and how it's affecting us right now. And uh, it's not something I was affected. I mean, expecting it certainly has nothing to do with any of the notes I have assembled here. So I think that's really great about whatever this combination is in this conversation is that we can uh, linger and um, find ourselves in these deep, dark holes. But Perhaps we will switch gears because I'm very interested in hearing more about not just how you were raised together and brought into relationship with this show and what you're doing in content, but really going back to Connecticut, were there any tales at, let's do this, Connecticut or New Jersey, where you currently are, is there lore there now that has affected you greatly? Is there a particular cryptid or UFO experience or historical haunting that you feel defines your interest in the weird? Well, you know, I would say like starting with Connecticut, this was really just like little kid kind of dumb, dumb stuff. But Will and I had a lot of fun getting freaked out with the idea that this lady who lived next door to us, who was very mean in life, we kind of posited that she was a witch. And so devised just between us, not her, tests. I guess it was more me than Will. Oh, to it was see- all you. Uh, yeah, you're right. It was me. But to see if she was a witch. So the one that's most memorable was that there was this like flat kind of rock that was in the grass between our two houses. And one night I put a troll doll on the rock facing her house. And I said, if I look in the morning and this troll doll is knocked over, that proves that the neighbor is a witch. And uh, I think it was knocked over in the morning, so confirmed. And um, I don't know. We, we, Will and I just go looking for this stuff. We just are interested in it. We and just he, always have been. We just you have may laugh been. at that method, but is that really that much more bizarre than like witches will float? <laughs> it's know? not really. It's pretty sound. <laughs> the troll doll fell over. It's just as good. It's just as valid. Who cares? <laughs> Also, the the um, preschool that like Will and I both went to was in a church, and so there was like a graveyard right outside the church. And one of the things that we did as an activity in preschool separately because we're three years apart, but was doing gravestone rubbings as like little little kids. Wow, very nice. So it was awesome. really it was completely awesome. So it was really. It was really in the ether, I would say, in Connecticut. And then New Jersey, we got real caught up in weird New Jersey. So I'm sure we'll say a little about that. Oh, that's definitely true. Weird New Jersey. We'll be right back with more of A Guide to the Unknown here on Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. Follow Euphemet on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. From the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphemet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Yeah, Weird New Jersey turned out to be one of the things that, um, uh, I'll, I'll speak just for myself, though I think we had similar experiences with this. It was one of the things that made me feel a little more grounded here. You know, um, I don't want to paint a, 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 a what was us portrait, but we lived in Connecticut. Then we moved when Kristen was 13. I was 10. We moved to Missouri. 
And I particularly remember being like, who needs friends when life is fleeting? We might move away again and they'd be gone. And about a year in, I finally decided to make friends. And two years later, we moved to New Jersey. And I was like, I was right. <laughs> I was right to be so dramatic. So um, in New Jersey, I, I was a total like, I just became grumpy kid. I just became quite grumpy kid at the back of the class. Um, but it was around that time, you know, at this point I was about 13. I remember, um, particularly coming across Kevin Smith and, and seeing clerks and seeing mall rats and being like, Oh, people make movies. Yeah. People can Ooh. just make movies. Right. Yeah, Just like a dude. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just some guy made a movie. Okay. So, sort of tuned into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Paid attention to mall rats. There's a scene in mall rats where they leave the main mall and they go to what they call a dirt mall. It's just a flea market. Sure. Where we live in New Jersey, uh, there is a movie theater nearby that has a grave in the parking lot in the back. Whoa. Listen to the commentary of mall rats where Kevin Smith goes, yep, this is the, the dirt mall, the flea market. They eventually ripped this thing down right after we finished filming and uh, wow. turned it into some mega multiplex. Then wow. I read a weird New Jersey book where they talk about the grave of Mary Ellis, which is in a parking lot of what used to be a flea market and is now a movie theater, my movie theater. And I realized like, <laughs> oh, not only do people make movies, but like I'm tangentially connected to that place. And, and this graveyard is now this like monolith uh, uh, that like stands as a testament to like, oh, I like spooky stuff. I like making movies. I like going to the movies. Like it's all right here. It's all where we live. And that that place is still like Kristen and I have gone back to that grave. I don't know how many times at this point to to either visit it or or tell stories from there. And it's just like it's just weird. New Jersey as a conduit for that particular information. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just why it just, is that grave in a parking lot? Oh, there's a whole thing. It was it was once the the land owned by the Ellis family. As the story goes, it's very old time story. Mary Ellis fell in love with an old sea captain. And you see, he he went and sailed off. And then she would watch for him overlooking the Raritan River. He never came back. And eventually she grew old, lived into her 70s, I believe, died and was buried on that land. Cut to a couple hundred years later, some real estate developers come along like, this would be a great place for a flea market. Raise it all to the ground, but have some modicum of respect for the dead. And so they leave her there. So they, 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 you know, they, they flatten the ground a little bit. So she's raised up a few feet. That business closes. Another one comes along. They pave down lower. Her grave gets higher. And, you know, now it's an AMC theaters and they still have the grave there. It's like 10 feet raised up. So if you're standing next to it, theoretically, you could be looking eye to eye with Mary Ellis herself. Oh, yeah, you, wow. you guys should Google it. It's really, really wild. And also, Will and I went there not even that long ago. It was like last summer or something in preparation for a live show that we did where we talked about various New Jersey haunted places. And actually, you can see the footage of that on our Patreon, which, Jim, I know you're part of, so you can find it. It's like the New Jersey ghost hunting documentary footage or something we have yeah, it up yeah. there as but um it's 
so weird and so cool. And finding out that not only were there, was there a bunch of weird, cool, creepy stuff in New Jersey, but there was a compendium and a regular, maybe quarterly magazine about it. Will and I were like, okay, jackpot. This, this isn't so bad. It didn't like save our teenage moving experience, but it was definitely like, all right, there's some cool stuff here. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, how important is that to us, especially in our developing years, trying to find ourselves, like, how does this place reflect us? You know, we, we carry so much of where we're from in our, in, uh, in our personal identities, seemingly, some much longer than they should, <laughs> but yeah. in, 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 you know, various ways. But for some of us, it's absolutely fundamental to our insight and our drive and our inspiration for what we do from that, from that point on. I mean, a lot of people will ask me, you know, what about your home town or area reflects your interests? And I'll say, have you ever seen the Goonies? You know? <laughs> I mean, that's all I got to say about that. Right. Yeah. And uh, these places, they have, they, they really do hold so much power. And I think that's what's interesting about probably what you found about that series is that when folks have the ability to collect these stories, that's, uh, that's an incredible totem to carry around for sure. It's a nice lineage. It's a, it's, it's a fun lineage to, uh, uh, to know has been here. And, you know, weird New Jersey doesn't know about us, but, you know, I, I feel like particularly now, Kristen and, and myself as, as weird spooky creators here, we're sort of uh, following in that lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your guys' process and, and how cool your show is. And one of the things that's <laughs> cool about your show is that you, you know, you integrate paranormal pop culture and uh, fiction as almost an entryway to the real stories. And I'm wondering if there's a modern piece out there right now, narrative, uh, a film, a book series, perhaps, that you feel is so stunningly close to the actual stories or content or topic that it's like an easy shot for you to take? Man, let me think. Not, not right off the top. I almost want to scroll back through our episodes and see what I think is like, he was really closely to it. It's interesting because a lot of the paranormal pop culture stuff that we cover are things where, like I'm thinking off the top of my head, things like Amityville or The Conjuring, where there's also a lot of people who dispute that story. So you could be saying, yes, these movies hew really closely to what happened, but what happened is really kind of up for debate. So it's sort of hard to say. Yeah. Will, what do you think? Is there anything uh, pop culture-wise that, let's say this, has inspired you to go digging deeper into what the real story is? That's interesting. You know, uh, this is, uh, 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 boy, if you were giving me a grade on how I answer that question, you'd be about to give me an F. Or a a frowny face. Or a frowny face, yeah. Yeah, That's right. Exactly. Um, uh, One of the uh, immediate things that sprang to mind about a particularly right now thing, Kristen was really ahead of the curve on this. Um, Kristen recommended that I watch a movie called Host. Mm. Have either of you heard of this? I have heard of this and people are telling me that they are, they freak them out so bad. Okay, great. Jim, have you heard of it? No. Okay. You got to watch it. It's really good. Yes. Uh, uh, Darcy, you should absolutely like, uh, uh, um, 
uh, did you say you did watch or you said you heard it'll freak you out so bad? I I have heard that I've heard it'll freak me out so bad. I have not okay. watched it yet, but I want to watch it in the daytime. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, you definitely should. Uh, exactly for us in this circumstance that we're in right this second and for the, the shape the world is in. Um, uh, uh, host is a movie that takes place all on a single person's computer screen as they join a Zoom call with their friends during the time of the pandemic and they are all from their separate places going to have a seance together over zoom. The Mm. premise itself is almost like a so good. It's bad type territory. There was a movie called unfriended a few years back where a few friends uh, uh, all chat over Skype and it was, whoa, what a, oh man, you want to watch a horror movie that you also laugh at bam unfriended. Although you might not laugh that much. Um, <laughs> host is like impeccably made. It is very charming. It's on Shutter right now. I, I get no kickback for saying this, but uh, I do. Go ahead. Promo code <laughs> Euphemet E U P H O. Oh, use it. Shutter. Use it. And, uh, it's go good. Try it for thirty days for free. Fine, do it. Anyway, all right. Hook fine. us up, Jim. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Will. <laughs> um, sorry, if you watch host one of the things that you'll see that 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 made this spring to mind is that it is a particularly very now kind of story where you're going to see your own life circumstance echoed back at you it is the first uh, uh um uh, film that i have watched that deals with life in covid mm. uh which is not a gargantuan part of the story it's just sort of the the circumstances that all the characters are in it is not telling a story that had happened in real life previously it is a wholly fictional story but the thing that makes it something that I find really intriguing and engaging, which we've covered on Guide to the Unknown, is the idea, I think, actually, something that you, Darcy, had, had called out before about everybody uses, uh, from, from spirit horns on up to whatever VR does, we all use it to try to contact the, the other side. I also have this feeling that any time that there is a technological push being made, we all use horror movies to digest it. Mm. Whenever new technology comes along that changes the landscape, we all, bo- we all simultaneously go, boy, this is great and so convenient. And also, but wouldn't it be so scary if someone used it this way? If you think about when a stranger calls, you can have two phone lines. Someone could call you from inside the house. Right? <laughs> you jump to a scream. Oh, now there are cell phones. It's way worse when somebody's not calling you from a thing that's tethered to the wall. Now they could be anywhere to now what host did, which is, yeah, we can all talk to each other on zoom like this. And we all just live our life directly on this screen. What does it look like if we're all in dire circumstances apart from each other and we can't see the thing that's trying to get us. I really think that this is a way that, that people try to contextualize new technology and get comfortable with it by making art of the worst case scenario with it. We digest the new technology through horror. And so it's not, it's not, you know, it's not a real life story that then made a a movie, which is why you should give me an F as this an answer to your question. But it is the thing that made me think like, this is some of the the stuff that we look at of like people's relationship to pop horror. And what does it mean for all of us? Yeah, I would give you a triple A if I could. You'd be right in the, right in the minor leagues. <laughs> I'll take it. 
I also I also feel like I should balance this out by saying we also uh, uh, make fun of each other and laugh at stuff primarily <laughs> because now this makes <laughs> yes. it sound like it's some anthropological pursuit. Uh-uh. It is not the brainiest of podcasts. No, it's not. I mean, just as often as we're talking about host and the, you know, the way we contextualize horror, or whatever, I'm also talking about the haunting of starring psychic medium, Kim Russo, where she walks meatloaf through the house where he recorded bad out of hell. So let's just, you it's know. a whole spectrum. God, to the unknown Truly. contains multitudes Truly. Well, there you go the multitudes and that even uh, goes down to the the, the uh, various formats and shows that you include within your same feed which i do as well which i think is actually the future of this shit yeah but mm. you have ghost adventures ghost adventures right is that what <laughs> yeah, it's called? ghost adventures adventures yeah How where is- we just watch ghost adventures and then talk about it <laughs> yeah there you go. I might have, have a drinking game I could send you that oh, I created around said ghost adventure. Come on. <laughs> what? Can you give us like one of the triggers for the drinking? What is oh. it? Oh, absolutely. Um, Zach gets a piece of protective equipment that no one else gets. Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> because that, that happens all the time. Um, let's see what other, I think I have it right here. Uh, because I was like this, I just started making it. Um, uh, anyone shouts, "Dude!" Oh, always, yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. A rough um, one. And when Aaron does an aside to the camera, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a lot. There's about twenty on this list that I will happily send you. But you're going to be drunk so fast. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. That is, uh, that's a dangerous game. <laughs> it's a, it's a fun show. I, you know, Kristen had seen bits and pieces of Ghost Adventures. I had uh, somewhat avoided it. And uh, so I'm doing like, we're both doing a cold watch. Kristen was by no means like, no. Uh, sorry to keep speaking for you, Kristen. No, but you're right. I, I wasn't like an expert or a super fan or anything. I'd seen it here and there and I thought it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And we decided to go back to the very beginning of it, watch it together, like Will said, going in cold and sort of give superlatives might not be the right word exactly, but we have categories that we hit in each episode, including the Bagan's wardrobe check, um, a, a mashup quote. of yeah, best quote, most dramatic moment, and so we kind of view the episodes through that lens. Mm. Oh, it's it's incredible! It's a lot it's of fun. Zach Bagans just screaming at at an empty jail cell, being like, uh, "Are you the spirits that hurt these people?" And then going, "Well, I'm the new warden, and I'm saying, get back in your cells." And don't come out till you make a noise into this tape recorder. It's a lot of that. Yeah, he's trying not, he's wearing a lot of hats. I've noticed that this is a tactic, at least in season one, is that he's acting like he works at the place to like trick the ghosts and make right. them interact with him. He or that he like stole their job. Of hats. That's like a, a Chevy Chase thing, right? Like that was a movie in the 80s with Fletch, <laughs> Fletch right? The yeah. Fletch of ghost hunting. He's the Fletch of ghosts. Yes. Oh That's Zach Bagans. Oh, thank you, thank you for that <laughs> image. Uh, treat. Just a time check, real quick. It's it's after eight. Are you guys still okay for for a little bit? I'm okay. Yeah, Are you okay, okay Will? Great. Yeah, fantastic. We'll we'll go just for a little bit longer with folks. Sure. And while we're doing that, uh, I want to mention patrons. We're opening lines for you uh, specifically. So if you'd like to join us on video and uh, or 
just audio, ask any questions or share any stories. You know, have you had a ghost experience that perhaps you'd like to share with the folks on this panel here? Uh, do you have uh, comments about how you think technology will affect the paranormal or us as a human being? Go ahead and chime in. And uh, we love the chat on the side there too. I think all of us have been chiming in there with you as well. Um, we were talking a little bit about the, um, the idea of a seance in this film being you know, seen through Zoom, but I know you too have had a seance experience yourself, correct, that you shared within your show. Can you detail how that happens and what, you know, what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a paranormal bookstore in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Um, I think it's called the, the Paranormal Bookstore. And they hold, or they, well, this was before COVID, but they held a monthly seance. So Will and I went to that really not knowing what to expect whatsoever. We weren't sure whether there was going to be a medium there or whether it was all going to be us just sort of trying to tap into something else and be really open-minded and just speak about whatever we kind of hear coming through. So we really went as blank slates and um, it ended up being really interesting. I, I went in with very low expectations and I think that Will did as well where I was just like, I, you know, I don't even know who's going to be here in my heart of hearts. I think we're going to come home saying that was fun. You know, I'm glad that we tried that. I'm glad we had that experience, but not feel like we got anything super concrete. And it ended up that it was run by a medium. Um, she wouldn't really call herself that, but she did acknowledge that she sort of channeled things and she's the owner of the bookstore named Kathy. And she ended up kind of focusing on us for a little while and saying things uh, about our dad kind of coming through that felt like they were really, at least in the moment, they felt very, very dead on. And even on reflection, some of the things just feel kind of right. So it was, it ended up being a really different experience than I was expecting it to be. Did you feel that way, Will? Uh, absolutely. I think, I think one of the things that um, I, I think is probably worth pointing out is that through all of this, through, through like my particular enjoyment of um, mysteries and, and the paranormal and horror, I don't know if I'm a believer. Mm. You know, I, I'm, I very much consider myself somebody who is open to the possibility but I'm also very afraid that right beneath that is a wall of I refuse to believe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I sort of feel like I have a mental block about it. But regardless... We call him, we call him a celebratory skeptic. Yes, because he's celebratory not, skeptic. He's not poo-pooing it by any means, no, but I he's just not all in. I begrudge no one anything. I don't know if that sense made sense. Life is too hard to get too uptight about parsing out what people believe. Live your life. Enjoy your life. Uh, uh, our relationship to death and and, uh, uh, and and what may or may not be there is so complicated and so personal. You do you. Be you. I, uh, my personal feeling is like I would love for there to be something, but I'm also moderately comforted by the idea that there's nothing and you have to make the most of the time you have right here, right now. Uh, and, and anyway, that is the sort of mindset that I walked into the seance with. Also with the utmost intent of being open-minded as open-minded as humanly possible and not discredit everything that I hear. Um, 
and I, I, I will say that, yeah, Kristen's right. When we walked out of there, I really did have the feeling whether I believe it was true or not. I walked out with the feeling that uh, our dad was still able to, to see us and, and was aware of us and was proud of us. It, it, you know, a, a big part of me wants to go, eh, don't buy it. No one's going to say like, yes, I have a, I'm, I'm, I'm in contact with your father. And he's very disturbed by what you're doing. Like, what monster would deliver that message? Well, but I will say one of the things that made it feel credible to us was that Kathy said that our dad, she kind of was paraphrasing it, but she said, he's giving me the feeling of like, what are you guys doing here? Why are you doing this? Yes. Like, what, what are you doing with this? And it does seem like something our dad would say. Just like, what are you, what are you spending your time with? What are you doing? What a hilarious thing for a, a ghost of our father to do. Be like, what, do you believe in all this nonsense? that makes me yeah, right. real here right now <laughs> right Wouldn't believe that i'm here right this second what are you nuts um, <laughs> but it felt right yeah a thousand percent i loved it and then at the end of it it was also a message from him going like eh, okay that's enough yeah he kind of like he sinned his time he was yeah. like i see the floor yes. it's enough <laughs> and essentially the message was i see both of you and i i i, I like understand what you're doing and you're doing well what do you want from me you're taking up everyone else's time in a sense, like not, not, not snarky like that, but really sort of like we all, even though he's gone, he is not really gone. Even though it's been, uh, you know, as of tonight, four years, even though it's been this length of time, we're all still connected and we're all on the same page. We're all doing the best we can. He did the best he could. We're doing the best we can here on our own. And we have this mutual agreement. It's all gravy. It's all good. And I really did walk out of there with the feeling of like, uh, uh, this doesn't feel quite like what you would say to just anyone. It did feel like it was things that Kristen and I personally respond to very well of, of what if it is our father going, you're doing well. Yeah. Not, not, overly, not overly schmaltzy, not overly sentimental, but very personally sentimental in that you've got this kind of sense. And I really walked out, out of there with a feeling of comfort. And my thing is always, did we make contact with the ghost of my dad? I don't know. A big part of me says no. But another part of me goes, well, I walked out of there feeling like I did anyway. And feeling like I did is maybe just as good. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important when it comes to seances, mediumship, any of that. Because I think... There's folks on both sides, right? Penn and Teller in their show, Bullshit, and even in their stage show, will talk about, like, Penn uh, will talk about how angry mediums make him when they, um, like, prey on people's pain, right? right? And they prey on people's suffering. But at the same time, like, there is other, there's other, because, like, the seance, did you all have to pay for it? Yes. You did? Yeah. Yes. No nominal fee, big fee? Um, it was a little bit more expensive than I expected, but it wasn't insane. Okay. But, like, also independent bookshop. Like, there's a lot yes, of things. Happy I to think, do it. Right? As creatives, we can go, like, you know, here are these things. Right. But I think it's really about that feeling, right? And I think that, you know, to your point, Will, about, I don't know if I believe every, like the, did you call him a celebratory skeptic? Chris? Yes. Is that what you call them? Yes. Um, but I think the, that there's, 
that balance is healthy because if we're all in, then sometimes we can't see the problematic issues or like that right. doesn't quite add up. So that's weird. And then if we're all out, then we're not open, like you said, to these other things. But I think what you're, you're really hitting on that is important is that feeling, right? Because you're right. She's probably not going to give you a message of like, what are you two doing wasting your time with this goddamn pie? Like right. that's probably not going to happen. But at the same time to you had things that resonate with you. And I'm sure even outside of a seance, there's probably stuff you see all the time where you're like, that's dad. That's mm-hmm. dad. Like I have that personally with stuff in my life. Where I'm like, Oh, Hey, this, these are those things that happen. Right. And Jim had on Stephen Williams last week, who from Memphis Spirit Rescue, who goes into people's homes to just help spirits cross over. Hmm. And that was like really powerful to hear him go like, I just help these folks like do this. And I help these people move on. And that's like, like, and, and he has it, he gets these little messages and these little words. So I think like, I don't think there's anything wrong with a feeling as long as the intention is good. As long as we're not having like snake oil sales salesmen or, you know, people just trying to gouge people out of their money. Like you paid a fee for the seance, but it's not like 15 minutes into the seance. Then she was like, I've got a message, but I'm going to need you to drop another $20 in the bucket. Right. Or no, it it felt super ethical. Like it it seemed like she really, really cared. She spent a lot of time. It went over time because she wanted to give people messages and she even offered to speak to people after the seance. So it really felt like she really was invested in this and believed it in just kind of a matter of fact way. Like this is just something that she does rather than this huge production, which I felt like added some validity validity to it yeah she they, honestly like before the 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 evening really even kicked off um she did a lot to explain like i'm here to facilitate i am not promising you that i can contact the other side i'm going to tell you what what i perceive and that th- you may get nothing <laughs> like the big shock of it all you may get nothing and that to me you know feels a little more valid than being like 50 bucks and I guarantee you'll talk to grandpappy. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's weird. You're weird. Another $30. Don't you? $30 more. I'll show you some ectoplasma. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What? Um, Yeah, no, Uh, uh, as a, as a celebratory skeptic, I I walked in there looking for the signs. I was was watching for them and, and I ended up feeling pretty damn good. Yeah. Which may be a placebo effect, but the placebo effect is real. It is. Well, you know, I I think there's something to be said for intent, right? And a lot. And a lot of times it's, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, earnestly manufacture that. And in those situations, I think that's where a lot of times feeling comes from. Empathetically, there's a connection to intent that feels uh, honest. And, you know, another thing about, you know, sort of, controlling your experience or helping to control your experience and, and not really sinking in or believing in just anything, you know, uh, the new Kirks and I will often say, you know, one foot in one foot out. Right. And, and, and straddling upon that veil, you know, there in lies a choice 
of an engagement. And, you know, Darcy brought up Tenny a little while ago, and, and he has this great sort of uh, analogy to the phenomenon's ability to seemingly invite you into its game. And these experiences sort of potentially kind of tap in your shoulder, going like, hey, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. Sometimes that's a phenomenon. Sometimes that's nothing, right? If you have one foot in, one foot out, you can control what your experience is there. You can say yes. You can also say no. Like, I don't want to engage. I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to go down that belief tunnel. I'm not going to engage with whatever that phenomenon is. And I have a choice and a destiny and whatever is happening here. And honestly, that is the one thing that has like really saved me in going and being boots on the ground, taping these Euphemet documentaries is just knowing that I have a choice in the matter. No, that's really interesting. I never really thought of it that way that you could still believe in something, but still decide to opt out for whatever reason. Maybe it's not good for you for some reason, health-wise, mentally or otherwise, or maybe you're just not ready for it. Like belief doesn't necessarily have to equal all in. I think it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I, we've been having a little bit of a conversation as of late around like the mental health in this world and people being you know, open to these things and believing these experiences, but also being like, you might just need to go deal with some stuff. Like you may just need to get some, some health help. And the other idea that people who investigate or explore this world have to, for some reason, push themselves in uncomfortable and unhealthy places to do something. It's like you, but you don't, you can say, no, you need clear boundaries in the in the human world <laughs> and you need clear boundaries with the spirit world. Right. And like Jim was saying, like Tenny talks about like the phenomenon will like play and try and engage you, but you can also just be like, not today as best I want. I mean, I'm sure he's got some crazier stories cause he's been doing it for a long time, but like, you know, you, you can have those boundaries. You can have those, you can make those decisions as a sentient autonomous being that says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go down this path or this, this doesn't feel comfortable to me. And just because you're into the paranormal also doesn't mean you're into every single aspect of the paranormal, just like watching horror doesn't mean you like every kind of horror movie. It doesn't mean you like, you know, if you're a wine drinker, you don't like every kind of wine. Like, but we've, I think we get caught up in binaries a lot about all or nothing. You're all in or you're all out. And it's like, no, we're more complex than that. There's so many other things to, to consider about why we might be into something or not into something. It's true. That's something that Will and I talk about a lot. And it's almost annoying a little bit because while I don't believe in binaries for almost anything, really, like at least they're easy. And something that Will and I talk about on Guides the Unknown, a good amount, it comes up like somebody will be, I feel like we were just talking about this. Somebody will be caught maybe faking evidence of the paranormal. But does that mean that every scrap of evidence they found is all invalid? You want to say yes, but maybe not. Maybe they found real stuff and then they want a little bit extra that's a little bit zippy. So they made this one thing up and it's annoying that you can't just go nope to all of it. But even think about this is something that's real world. like from the Zodiac, um, you know, serial killer case, there was that detective Dave Toski or Dave Tashi who really did have letters written to him 
him from the Zodiac Killer, but they sort of ran dry and then he faked one because he wanted that attention back. And it doesn't make the other ones not real. It's factually real. Both things are true and it's annoying. You want to say, oh, this guy did this and he's been lying the whole time, but it's not true. And I think that that could also apply to all manner of paranormal business, not just people potentially faking evidence, but researching into something and not, you know, finding proof positive at every turn. That doesn't mean that all those turns are invalid. Absolutely. And I think too, like, just on the research end, like, none of us know. We don't know. We never will probably, honestly. So like, to have a theory out there to say, hey, this is what I think it could be, or these are these things like at this, and I'm not saying people should fake out this. I'm not saying that anybody, but I think that, um, you know, I think, again, it comes back to intent, right? Is your intent to put forth a a theory and to put out there this might be what happened? And then are you then responsible for the game of telephone that can happen with people? You can't always be that way. For people who shoot TV, and if you're not in control of your own editing of a podcast, and you've got a production team that goes, oh, here it is, here it is, and they use like it was a two-minute clip of a voice and it ended up being two seconds, like that changes context completely, completely. Yeah, we're, we're participants in everything, you know, like even as, even as a writer, like one of the things that I've become increasingly sensitive to with seeing people talk about movies and TV is somebody just being like, eh, that was lazy. Mm-hmm. That movie was lazy. And like, none of it's lazy. If you're watching it, a lot of people work really hard to make that thing. That's right. And you may not like it, but your criticism of calling it lazy is lazy. <laughs> you you are, you are as an audience member you are a participant you are choosing to listen to us speak right this second you've already made that choice um i i really think that uh, you know people are impatient and they like easy answers for things and if they don't get their easy answer fast enough then it took too long and you well you lost me and if your answer is not that easy well then it didn't really make it that much sense so you lost me um, it's very hard. Everything is like a, a, a tightrope walk. And that's why I think uh, my personal reaction to that is usually to try to be a little more patient um, and, and try to consider where I am participating at my own disadvantage. Mm. Am, I, am I lost in this movie? Maybe I wasn't really paying attention to it. Maybe I wasn't really focusing on it. Is that the movie's fault or is that my fault? Eh, it might be my fault. Mm. Um, I think we're all responsible for ourselves. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Your perception is is participation in in the world around you. It's a good way to think about it, for sure. Uh, we're just going to go a few more minutes, folks. We appreciate uh, everyone staying on here and being engaged with this conversation. This is great. The chat has been going nuts, too. Uh, uh, David asks, what happens when you accept the phenomenon and you feel as if certain outcomes are unavoidable? Uh, Kristen, do you want to start with maybe your thoughts or opinions on something like that? Hmm. I get, you know, I'm not sure because I can't tell and it maybe doesn't even matter, but I guess I wonder if the idea of certain outcomes being unavoidable is looking at it from a positive perspective or a negative perspective, like a fear-based sort of thing. It's kind of hard to say, but you know, 
there's very there's very little in life that's unavoidable and also i think even thinking about whether it's avoidable or not takes you out of the present and it takes you into kind of a worrying about the future sort of control thing which is unfortunately not helpful so i would say if you're engaging with the phenomenon and the phenomenon being i assume you're talking about just the idea of the paranormal all around us in the way that you can kind of interact with that, calling that the phenomenon, that it's a thing. Um, I would say to rather than feeling into the idea that it's unavoidable, just taking it as it comes and just remembering that playing with the idea of it being unavoidable is future tripping. And it's not going to help you deepen your relationship with the phenomenon at all to be caught up in the idea of what might happen. Future tripping. What is future tripping? That no, that it's it's like it's not supernatural. It's just like psychological. It's just like you're getting tripped up about what could happen in the future. Is that a term? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you can be like, I'm future tripping out. Yeah, I'm future, I'm future tripping. <laughs> yeah, I'm future tripping, baby. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Perhaps another pillow. Uh, yes. Lucy says in the chat, as I've worked on developing my intuition, I've realized that I get a certain sensation in my body when something is real versus just thinking about it and trying to figure out whether it's all in my head. Will, have you ever had a similar experience of, uh, you know, an intuitive feeling about something? You know, I, I, the, the first, the one thing that springs to mind is, uh, uh, um, there, talk about, you know, way back we were talking about our father and these sort of like logic games. There was a mental exercise that he told me about it maybe once or twice. I don't think it was a mainstay. Kristen, I wonder if you'll remember this. It's, it's sort of foggy for me. But uh, he would do this mental exercise of close your eyes. What do you see? Or, you know, what do you see? Close your eyes. Now what do you see? <laughs> Nothing. Close your eyes. What do you hear? What do you feel? And right now I know that I'm in my basement. I'm in front of my you know, computer. I'm talking to all of you. I've got a fan on my desk. It's blowing in my face. Everything else is pretty still. I know I'm sitting in a chair. What are some other environments I might be in and feel this sensation and mm-hmm. be sitting in this chair and try to imagine the room around me and make it you know, uh, crystal clear so much so that when I open my eyes, is it almost a shock that I'm wow. here in my basement looking at all of you? Almost like set yourself in a different environment than where you are right now, just by uh, uh, feeling the sensations that are going on around you. Uh, uh, But in terms of like actually having like a gut impulse of a feeling, there was this one time, it's probably the only event that I would ever claim felt paranormal to me. And the gut feeling was that it was paranormal at all. I had just gotten home from work and I was walking up to the front door and I was, you know, maybe 10 feet away from the door alone it's night it must be like eleven thirty or something i used to work at a party store i was a balloon salesman at a party store and um i was walking up to the front door and i just heard behind my ear like an inch away from my head <sighs> just that an exhale but a deep exhale like like you know from the diaphragm like a performerly exhale and it scared the hell out of me and i just had the feeling there was someone standing right behind me and i ran the rest of the way to the door to get inside slam the door and look back out the window nobody was there and my gut feeling absolutely knew it without being able to ever really know it 
our grandmother had recently died. And I felt somehow like that was an attempt to, to reach out. That's the one. That's the one event that I ever had that in my gut, it wasn't even a wondering and then piecing it together. It was a jolt, a reaction to a, a scary thing, a little fight or flight moment, run away, and then an instant knowing of like, that, that's, that has to be what it is. That was the one, she mustered all the energy that she could, and that was the one thing that she was able to send my way. Wow. It happened right behind me. Wow. And um, Kristen, how about you? Um, you know, I don't think, unfortunately, I get a little jealous of Will sometimes because he's had that happen. <laughs> he has like dreams where he feels like our dad is maybe visiting or something like that. Or he's had like vivid dreams of our dad. And I feel like I haven't gotten to as much as I am because I'm not really a celebratory skeptic. I am a cautious believer as I think a lot of people who are, you know, we're kind of talking about are um, as much as I am, I haven't had those cool experiences and I would really, really like to, but I do think that there is something to be said for feeling something physically sort of validating what's going on. So I understand what Will's talking about and I understand what Lucy is talking about from kind of an intellectual perspective. And I think it can kind of relate to the mundane idea of just a gut feeling about just about anything but i unfortunately have not had that experience myself it's so wasted on me then because anytime i have something like that i immediately go yeah probably not (laughs) (laughs) i know well you know what maybe if i did it'd be taking me down some like wild path that i'm completely ungrounded so maybe it's (laughs) maybe it's the right thing for me because i would be completely (laughs) gone (laughs) Cautious believer and celebratory skeptic. Yeah. It's not a bad duo for like one of them to get any sort of (laughs) perhaps feedback. It's the skeptic. "Mm, Nah. And it doesn't balance the scales. He remains. Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) Well, I think that's a perfect way to sum up Guide to the Unknown. And, uh, you know, the siblings work together. Uh, I appreciate you folks being on here so much and darcy thank you so much for joining as co-host tonight patrons thank you so much for watching and engaging and chatting please visit will and Kristen's patreon page and subscribe to their podcast if you have if there are folks joining us from their patreon page appreciate it so much uh, darcy uh, remind us again where folks can find your work and where they can follow you uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at DarcyStaniforth.com. And you can uh, check out the little teaser preview for Mysteries Decoded on Apple Podcasts right now. Heck yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. And Kristen and Will, uh, tell us real quick for uh, the folks here in the chat where they can find your stuff right away, right after this. Absolutely. If you go to gttupod.com, that has links that'll take you to everything. Um, our different podcast feeds on different you know podcast platforms. We also have a YouTube channel and we have a Patreon that you can visit. And you can also find our social media at gttupod. Excellent. Thank you so much, everyone. I love you guys. Take I care. loved this. Thank this you. Was great. Thank great you day. so much for having us. It was this really was... nice talking with all of you. We'll see you again soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to this edition of Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. Thank you again to our guests, Will and Kristen, and our co-host, Darcy Staniforth. You can find links to their work in the show notes. To be a part of our next live Zoom interview, join us on Patreon. 
It's $5 per month and includes access to Euphemet, the original series, and much more. For everything Euphemet, including how you can subscribe to our show, our short film series with Carl Pfeiffer of Hellier, merch, and links to our social media, visit euphemet.com. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking. Follow Euphemet on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.